On this episode, we discuss Holmes and Watson, live from Portland, Oregon. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. Hey, over here, it's Elliot Kalin. Hey, Dan, where are we? <laughs> we're, in, we're in Portland, Oregon. Oregon? Okay. Oregon? Oregon? I, the people here pronounce it Oregon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're the original peaches. <laughs> yep, that's... Uh, I, I think I'm, I might have pulled a hamstring hearing you tell that. Um, um, we've been yeah. having a fun old time here with the audience here, and now it's time for us to... Do a real show, a real live now it's show. Time to what do you, stop what do you the consider fire. what we've done warming them up? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's hard to tell. Grudging tolerance is what we're getting from the audience <laughs> yeah. at this point. Uh, so this is you a guys pod- are great. Dan's being an asshole. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Wow. Well, just call them like they see him. So what do we do on the podcast, Dan? Like Stuart, you know, you and I have known each other since college. You've known these people for, uh, you know, like, what, an hour now? I mean, it's been a long hour. We've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I showed them a lot of pictures of cats, including my own. <laughs> so he took them into his confidence of mm-hmm. cat fittance. No, no, no. He you really... got mad at me for the ori- original peaches, and this is what you come back with? I had to pull my hamstring back into place. <laughs> so when are we going to start the stuff that we actually record? Okay. <laughs> so, Dan, what do we do on this podcast? This is a podcast. For anyone who's the new listener who decided this was the time to jump in. Uh, you really should have done it when Entertainment Weekly <laughs> recommended us. Not now that we've been forgotten by the press. Oh, terrible. <laughs> forgotten by the press, yeah. Oh, I, I can't get arrested in this town. <laughs> because drugs are legal. <laughs> uh, we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Uh-huh. And today, in my hotel room, yep. we watched Holmes and Watson. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dan and Stuart sharing a bed. Elliot on an uncomfortable chair. <laughs> an uncomfortable chair I had been informed of ahead of time I might not want to sit on because it had been ruthlessly farted on by someone at a previous time. Their name shall go unnamed. <laughs> they can use their imagination. <laughs> uh, now, Dan, this movie, to put it mildly, this is a Sherlock uh-huh. Holmes comedy. Now, I'm interested <laughs> in... Uh, you, uh, you have a special relationship with The Great Detective. Oh, t- please tell us a little bit about your history with... Monsieur Holmes, who is French. That's why I call him that. <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes, one of my great uh, personal childhood heroes, along with Robin Hood, for some reason, Scrooge McDuck. I think it's because... Uh, and Harry Houdini. I think it was because uh, Robin Hood was a sexy fox. Uh, yes, yes. Well, I mean, they were, they were all, all the foxes in that were sexy. That's yeah, why they're called foxes. Right. <laughs> but, um, That's why they named a lettuce after it. Yeah. Foxy brand lettuce. Available on your grocer's lettuce aisle. Uh, but yeah, no, I... So wait, uh, you d- so I think it's just interesting, because when I was a kid, I, had a, I was a fan of a particular detective. His name was Brown. Encyclopedia Brown. And he was a detective from my generation. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing, Elliot. Like, in real life, very few mysteries are solved by knowing where penguins live. <laughs> 
I'll tell you one guy Go who on. did that. Yeah. His name was Brown. <laughs> Harry Brown. <laughs> Starring Michael Caine. So, yeah, no, I, I just, you know, I'm a uh, Sherlockian, I would say. Is that what they thing? call them? Yeah, we're a bunch of nerds. Okay. And uh, did you, when, when you were in London, did you ever go try to find his, his apartment? I mean, well, there's a quote-unquote museum there, which is they have put an apartment there that is a recreation of what his apartment would be if he was a person and not a fictional character. Uh-huh. And so you can walk into a room with, you know, like tobacco and the toe of a Persian slipper and the fake gunshot wound, uh, wounds in the wall. You don't, you don't no, call them a, wounds usually. If you do if you're a building. <laughs> and uh, in uh, VR for Victoria Regina. Like, things from the Sherlock Holmes stories. And did they have any stuff from the movie Holmes and Watson? <laughs> they do not, I think. Because throughout the film, I continue to ask Dan, Dan, what story is this from? <laughs> Long As, after that joke stopped being funny. <laughs> oh, and it, it won't be funny tonight, but I'm still going to say it. Uh, so, Dan, when I suggested we do Holmes and Watson, mm-hmm. did you feel a little bit like, what, anger, rage? Or was there a little bit of, were you a little aroused and intrigued? <laughs> I think maybe, maybe Will Ferrell and, and uh, John C. Riley cracked it. Maybe I, they finally got Sherlock Holmes. I, I think it's more of the latter. I think it's one of those things where you love a thing so much that you'll see any shitty thing that involves it, even if you know it's going to make you angry. Hey, Just because you're gonna, I went to Spider-Man the Musical. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know it's going to make you feel something. Okay. <laughs> it got very sad and at it, the look, end. I mean, for a guy like me who, you know, needs to take a speedball of cocaine and heroin just to get to zero at this point. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like, Holmes and Watson is, uh... Seems weird that you got so excited about that joint you found in that <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for referencing something that's not on the show. <laughs> I mean, you can edit, uh, I guess not. I think the audience at home can imagine what that story is. There's no new details. That it's, it'll yeah, I don't it'll have to certainly ex- be more exciting than the regular story. <laughs> I don't have to explain everything. Like, it's not like I have to say, like, Dan's a human, he was born from another human, and uh, the universe began, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You're right, you don't need to explain any of that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about a little movie I like to call Holmes and Watson. Uh, it's good that you like to call it that, because that is the name it was given. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're in agreement, me and the movie, and that is where the agreement ends. <laughs> now, the movie begins with a, with a quote I did not write down about logic being the to everything, and then it reveals that that quote is, I guess, from an episode of Hannah Montana, and when Hannah Montana season whatever episode whatever comes up, there's a ding on the soundtrack just to make sure you got it, that you're looking at the words as they appear. That's Uh, how you know this is not your daddy's Sherlock Holmes movie. My daddy's Sherlock Holmes movie would, I guess, be... The private life of Sherlock. Yeah, Holmes. when was your daddy? Uh, when was your daddy in the prime of his life? Let's, let's, let's go. He would tell it. you he is now. Okay, <laughs> I've seen him, and that is incorrect. <laughs> wow, I will not tell him you said that. Let's not make this the Father's Day release. <laughs> okay, we begin in the year 1867, two years after the end of the American Civil War. Information that is irrelevant for the movie we're talking about now, and young Sherlock Holmes, not. The young Sherlock yeah. Holmes from the movie. Young not Sherlock Nicholas Rowe, not the Christopher Columbus uh, movie. Young Sherlock Holmes. You know. The Explorer? Christopher Columbus? Oh, uh, Chris Columbus. God, you know. Gremlins. No, I do know. Wait, I'm just were there gremlins in Young Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> Let's move on. I remember that stained glass man, but yeah. anyway. So, 
Sherlock Holmes, a young boy, is the new kid at some boarding school. And his mom is like, you should have friends. You should be around other kids. He has a pet turtle. Immediately, the other kids attack him and throw his turtle through the air. And his turtle gets a little like wheelchair like dogs get when, they're, when their legs are hurt. Uh, he is instantly unpopular with the other kids. They're always mean to him. Meanest of all, they tell him that the girl he has a crush on wants to kiss him. They put a blindfold on him, and then they make him kiss a donkey's anus. I mean, I think he kisses near the anus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, who I among mean, we're us splitting hairs. Haven't had that happen to us, so we can all sympathize. I mean, I, I'll raise my hand right now. That's, <laughs> but uh, all the kids are mean to him, so he, he starts crying, and they're like, ha eh, eh, And he decides that moment, as a voiceover tells us, to banish all emotion from his body, and he sucks the tear back up into his eye. And I want to say, like, there are all these like Sherlock fan theories of like, you know, people have written stories about why Sherlock Holmes, you know, is so emotionless, why he, he, he denies love in his life. Are there any where he's a robot from the future that fell back, <laughs> in, back in time? Uh, I almost certainly, hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> the what most are, put into stories character perhaps of all time. Were yes. there any where like he sold his emotions to a witch in exchange for a hat? Yeah. <laughs> My point is, is merely this. They usually, you know, are more in the line of like, I don't know, his dad killed his mom or some sort of like horrible childhood trauma. Here, this movie postulates that Sherlock Holmes becomes a thinking machine because some kids were mean to him. Mm-hmm. So, and that he dis- he chooses to be a thinking machine. Yes. Uh, so, and he gets to that moment pretty quick. I mean, in Richard the Third, it takes a couple of scenes before he has that revelation. <laughs> That's right. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I, mean, I be, went to college with Stuart. Checks out. Yeah, yeah. Just because he spent much of the pre-show showing people pictures of cats and going, aww, <laughs> check out this cat. It should in no way make people believe that he does not have a cultured and sophisticated <laughs> palate. Just because uh, most of the time his reviews of movies either involve people ripping off their own ding-dongs or ninjas. Again. So... He banishes all emotion and he immediately becomes a snitch and starts snitching out all the other kids until they're all expelled. He's the only kid at school and so he becomes a genius because all the teachers are focused on him. And he meets a young boy who's, I guess, the son of the, he deduces as the son of the janitor. And the, they, he says, we'll be friends. And the boy introduces himself as John Watson. That's right. No joke there. <laughs> no twist. And like, it's just, that's how they met. And can I say, like, look. It would be a tremendous amount of wasted energy to look at a movie, a comedy movie, with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, and say, this is not true to Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> the sheerest folly that would be. And yet I think you shall indulge in it. However, <laughs> this is the one point of the movie made me angry on that level, because literally the beginning of A Study in Scarlet, the first Sherlock Holmes story is Watson meeting Holmes. We know how this happened, people. It was not in school. Wow. Yeah, we're through the looking glass. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so when they meet, he's what, assigned? Are they roommates? Or he's assigned to him as like, a, like an assistant? I don't, know. I don't know. They become friends and then immediately goes to the opening house. Is it like a Tinder thing? Like how, but how do they meet each other? We saw it. They shook hands. What no, do you mean? I mean in the story. Oh, in the story? Uh, Watson is back from Afghanistan where he has been serving uh-huh. uh, as a military man. Uh-huh. He needs lodging. Uh, he has a doctor friend who sets him up with uh, Sherlock Holmes, who's like, oh, this is a, he's a good guy, an odd fellow, but maybe you like him. And, and then Sherlock Holmes is like open to the idea of a roommate, because he seems like a guy who doesn't like other people. <laughs> I mean, just because he's a weirdo doesn't mean he doesn't have financial problems. 
I guess that's true. In fact, in many times, the weirdo and the financial problems go hand in hand. Yeah. Not every weirdo is a rich, famous person. All right, they become friends. Cut to the headline title sequence, which tells us through headlines in newspapers that they are now crime fighters and Moriarty is their arch enemy and they've captured Moriarty. So, uh, as, as was relayed to me by another person who's watching the movie with us, uh, it's interesting to see when a movie tells you all the plot through a montage of headlines and then has scene after scene of nothing. Uh, <laughs> Moriarty is, of course, played by Ray Fiennes uh, and he's on trial, but the witnesses have all died. So as the judge says, if there's no witnesses, I have to let you go. And this, of course, upsets Inspector Lestrade, played here by Rob Brydon, and he sits through the trial and appears in many scenes next to a woman who wears brightly colored dresses, who receives no lines of dialogue, and we never find out who she is until the credits list her as Lestrade's wife. <laughs> and it's, it's, just was, a, it's such a weird choice to dress somebody in very striking colors amongst a sea of bland colors and then not give them any lines to say. <laughs> no, they, everyone else is wearing brown, different shades of dank brown, as it's Victorian England, everyone wears brown suits and stuff, except this one woman in a bright bit of bright blue, in a bright blue dress. I'm so mad about it. I can't even speak. In a bright blue dress, and it, it's like it just sticks out so much that she has nothing to do and nothing to say. And I kept being like, "Who's she? What's her story? What's that all about?" Well, I hope you stayed to the credits because that's where you'll find out. But everyone's expecting that Holmes any moment will burst in and say, "No, I have evidence that I have the evidence that shows that Moriarty did it." Uh, and Holmes. It's late to the trial. Why is that, Dan? What is Holmes doing at home? Uh, he is uh, in his corset. He is, uh, or a, uh, what do you call it? Like a girdle. A girdle, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's presented as a preening buffoon in, in, in many ways. And he is showing Watson how he's going to burst in. And he shows him an assortment of hats he might wear when he bursts in. And uh, this introduces the problem of the movie, which is if you make a Sherlock Holmes movie and you want to make it a comedy you've backed yourself into a corner because you cannot go the obvious route and make him stupid necessarily because then none of it makes any sense. But then he stops being Sherlock Holmes. He stops being Sherlock Holmes. He's got a different movie called The Stupid Detective. Yes. Which, to be honest, is a pretty funny idea for a movie. It kind of sounds like one of those black and white movies you would recommend. Yeah, I would love it. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's like but, Lee, Lee Tracy or somebody like that, and he's like a dumb detective. Yes. Or it's actually, it sounds like a Bob Hope movie or a Joey Brown movie or something like that. Anyway. <laughs> he but says you, derisively. Yeah. But if you go the other direction and make him super smart, you're just making a regular Sherlock Holmes movie. So this movie takes a oh, it's like road. Uh, the, the Orville in Star Trek. Uh, sure. Uh, this movie takes a middle road and wait, makes... Wait, I want to hear Stuart's Orville in Star Trek. No, we were talking about that earlier, how like they basically are just making a Star Trek show with a couple of jokes. Yeah. Right, right, right. And they uh, named it after America's favorite popcorn maker, Orville Redbottom. Yeah. yeah. But this movie attempts to split the difference and make Sherlock Holmes a brilliant idiot, which makes no sense. He is very great at deducing things, but he's also the kind of guy who will hit a glass case with a beehive in it with a cricket bat to kill a mosquito. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. A, a box is opened with a mosquito in it, and he goes, oh, Moriarty must have sent this to stop us. It probably has a disease, germ disease in it. We can't let it out. And that means he and John C. Riley just end up hitting each other, trying to kill the mosquito and knocking stuff over. And it's really uh, mm -hmm. a waste of time. This movie has no lack. <laughs> if you're looking for a movie with a lot of shenanigans in it, do I have a movie for you? <laughs> the, oh, the parts per million of shenanigans are very high. 
Yeah, but I, I, I'm surprised they, the government allowed them to release it because there's yeah. a certain level of shenanigans, parts per million that you're allowed to have. Like just like everything a cream cheese you own has some insect parts in it. Look, it's okay, it won't kill you, it's kept below another, but this is like if you opened up a thing of cream cheese and it was like all insect legs. <laughs> it was just all fly legs. Like that's what this movie is in terms of shenanigans. Anyway, they wreck their apartment. Uh, they, they almost hurt, uh, they do hurt, I guess, Mrs. Hudson, their housekeeper, who they treat very derisively. It was played by Kelly McDonald. This movie has so much talent it's in gotten it. It's gotten the cast for a great Sherlock Holmes comedy is embedded in this movie, and they are yeah. not making it. But uh, we'll, we'll meet some of them later on. So uh, they, anyway, there, there's, it begins the movie's uh, long thread of hurting women throughout the film. Uh, Holmes and Watson, they finally arrive, and Holmes says, Moriarty is innocent because his fingerprints were all over the scene of the crime, but he's too smart to do that, so it must be someone trying to frame him. And this somehow turns into him talking about Moriarty being a masturbator, or the person who left the, the fingerprints the being fake a masturbator Moriarty is was a masturbator. masturbator and I'm like, it's one of those things where like, I, I must have missed the, the chain of the intricate chain of logic that led them to Holmes and Watson standing before a crowd of Victorian Brits trying to use a, create a euphemism for masturbation that everyone will understand. And it's like, there's a number of scenes in this movie where you're like, oh, they said to Wilfred L. John C. Riley, just stand up there and improv you coming up with different ways to describe masturbation, and then we'll show three of them. And um, there's, there's 51 minutes of deleted scenes that come along with the movie, and I'm sure much of it is just more of this stuff. And so. that is not Elliot being hyperbolic. After we watch the movie, he's like, hey, do you want to watch the 51 minutes of deleted scenes? Now, and, and we did, because we're professionals. Yeah. There being no evidence, uh, the judge declares Moriarty innocent. Lestrade is furious. Uh, and as I said, we never learned the name of his companion. Holmes is totally <laughs> happy about it. He's like, eh, Moriarty's just going to run off to America. And you know what? I miss the challenge of him. And he says, I'll dedicate my life to health. You know, if you eat raw onion, it increases your red blood cells. Cue Holmes and Watson just biting into onions like they're apples and talking to us about how they're biting into them just like apples for a while. Like, like for a long time. Uh, this thankfully ends when the queen calls them and instantly Watson, be and Watson goes and he becomes an embarrassing super fan for the queen. It turns out... It was all a surprise birthday party for Holmes, which is weird because Watson continues to be a super fan for the Queen throughout, but like, if he planned a birthday party with her, like, that initial awkwardness should have been gotten over with at this point. <laughs> yeah, you're like, right. That's pretty silly. Yeah, like, that's, that's like... <laughs> I think you found the flaw in yeah, the movie. Yeah, to plan, to plan a surprise birthday party with someone, it takes time, it takes yeah. a certain amount of casual communication, and at that point, it's like, you know what? We have a bond. We put together this event. We've worked together. Maybe we're friends. Maybe we're just people who like know each other a little more casually than we would have otherwise. Yeah, Why yeah it's so like you've been through uh, like two soldiers who've been through battle. Exactly. I mean, hell, if the guy I watched uh, Avengers: Infinity War with, who I did not know, uh -huh. stood up and shook my hand after that movie wow. <laughs> because of the emotional roller coaster we had been through, then these two probably are best pals. You would think so. Uh, but no, they're not. So anyway, uh, Holmes cuts into the cake. Did you, uh, did you get his number? <laughs> I should have at least exchanged Twitter handles with yeah, that Yeah, I mean, the only, if the only digits you got were the ones he shook your hand with. I don't know the rest of this joke. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded really like cool. Lips or... Yeah, you fell in it, dude. All right. It was like you were Jeff Foxworthy workshopping something. <laughs> the only digits you got were the ones you shook hands with. Uh, you might be ba, ba, a... Ba, 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 ba. Well, let me move on to the next one. If you're drinking water, but you don't... 
oh, forget it. Like, I just, that's, that's his day all day, is just coming up with the first part. <laughs> and it's like, Jeff, start with the observation, and then just put it in the format of the joke. No, that's the easy way to do it. I like a challenge. <laughs> that's not how my inspiration strikes me. And I'm like, you're the one who's worth a fox, so, you know, I don't know. <laughs> As we've established earlier, the sex is the worthy of, of a fox. Worthy of a fox. It's not, well, the, it, the economic value is not that of a fox. <laughs> but if you wanted to say marry a fox, okay. Okay. the so fox's parents would be like, you're worthy. So you're like, like Thor's hammer, to bring it back to Avengers. Exactly. Written on it is, only he who is worthy shall have this fox. Yes. And Jeff Foxworthy is like, I'll take that. Okay, sure. <laughs> but an average mere mortal yeah, yeah, yeah. could not touch that fox. Okay. Uh, they dig into the cake and there's a dead body in it and with a note that says, It's a hey, mark of how great Holmes and Watson is that we would rather talk about that. <laughs> uh, they, there's, a cake, there's a dead body and it's uh -huh. the witness that should have been at Moriarty's trial with a note from Moriarty saying, Ha ha, I'm still around. I'm going to kill the queen in three days. You'll never stop me. And Holmes is like, it's a frame-up. Moriarty would never be this, this crude. It's got to be someone else. Let's investigate that body. So they go to the morgue where... Turns out Holmes is kind of a tender tummy, and he throws up in a bucket a bunch of times. Yep. Case closed. <laughs> yep. You know, joke achieved, I suppose. And here's where we meet two more important characters. Two very important characters. We meet Dr. Grace, played by Rebecca Hall, a female doctor from America, and they just cannot believe that she is a doctor. Now, she's not American, right? Rebecca Hall? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Is she... English? I, I thought she was. I think it's funny then that There's you have two American actors doing English accents and then a, an English actor doing an American accent. Yeah. And you also have Lauren Lapkus playing a character who cannot speak, doing the craziest faces. <laughs> and yeah, she's she is, playing a feral wild child. It's very funny because it's like, I mean, she's great. She's a fantastic performer and I'm a big fan of hers. I'm a big fan of Rebecca Hall's too. But you can tell that for everyone else in the movie who's a big star, this is a Will big Will Ferrell's in the back of the room crying right <laughs> yeah, Sorry. And John him. C. Riley's great and I I love Rob Ryden, as we all know. Uh, the, and other actors who come up later, also fantastic. Uh -huh, yeah. uh, the rest of the triumvirate that should be starring in the movie uh, that I'll come to later. Uh, but you can tell, everyone else it's a paycheck. For Lauren Lapkus, it's like, this could be a big breakthrough. So she is mugging the hell out of yeah, you. She I, makes the most of every shot she's in. I will retell the uh, name-droppy story I told earlier, which is like early in doing comedy, I was on a podcast with Lauren Lapkus where I was like just playing like, Myself, like I, you know, as a comedy writer, and there was a host, and then she came. You, in. you weren't playing yourself as like a time traveler. <laughs> <laughs> yourself as like a 17th century baron. Yeah, yeah. But she came in doing a character, like that was her job on the podcast. And very quickly, I was like, I should not be on this podcast, and perhaps not in comedy, because yeah. she was so good at what she was doing. So uh, many people have said that to you, and yet you refuse <laughs> and yet, to take the advice. And yet I persist. But um. But, uh, but Lauren Lapkus to like, have someone as funny as her and be like, you know what, you're not going to talk during this movie, <laughs> seems like the most perverse thing. You're the, the funny face movie. person in the movie. Yeah. So uh, they show up, and despite the initial hesitation on, on Holmes and Watson's part to accept the idea of a woman doctor, they soon all start falling in love with Holmes and with, a, with a Dr. Hall and Watson flirting over their autopsy of the body as they play Unchained Melody on a Victrola. That's right, it's a ghost reference, everybody. That's, that's pretty timely. Very topical. I mean, at that point, I'd rather a reference to like a classic in quotes than a, uh, than a reference to like some movie that can't. It's like how in, uh, is it Knocked Up? Where they're like, well, yeah, we went to go see Spider-Man 3. And they talk about Spider-Man 3 for a whole scene. And mm -hmm. I'm like, nothing dates this movie more than 
that you are talking about Spider-Man 3 for all this stuff. And mm -hmm. I like Spider-Man 3. Okay, so, uh, and Holmes and Millicent flirt over eating raw onions together. So we've got some love interests, but Holmes still thinks that someone's copycatting Moriarty. This, this kind of highlights one of the weird things about the movie for me, is that they, they code both Will Ferrell and John C. Riley as, like, way younger than those two guys are. Like, they're behaving like they're, like, wacky teen boys. Yes. Which I guess could be the joke, I, I guess. Maybe. I mean, it's kind of like in, there's a, uh, there's a great movie, I don't know if you guys know it, called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. <laughs> yeah. And the only minor flaw in it is that John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart are supposed to be playing young men, and they're both in their 50s. <laughs> but... Yeah, we looked it up. Lauren Lapkus is, uh, I can't remember, 32 or 33. I yeah, can't she's, remember which. Well, don't you never reveal a moment. But, uh, Let's just say she's 18 years younger than, okay. than Will Ferrell. And Will Ferrell is 51, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very, and like, throughout the movie, I'm like, these guys would be a little funnier in these parts if they didn't seem like they were at the age where it is sad that they're this buffoonish. They're, but they're either too young or too old. Like, if they were two doddering old men, Hilarious. The elderly are hilarious because we're all going to be there, so it's okay to laugh at them because someday someone will laugh at us. And young people are hilarious because they don't know shit because they haven't learned anything. But middle-aged people... Whoa, Elliot's dabbing. Yeah. But middle-aged people are not funny because they should be doing things to help the world because they now have means and knowledge. But no, instead they're yeah. being a bunch of buffoons. Shouldn't you be at your accountant right now? Yeah. It's like, how are you guys gonna pay your mortgage with this buffoonery? Uh, and Watson, uh, he, the doctor has told him he should, he's so smart, he should be a co-detective. And Watson's like, oh, I don't know, he has self-esteem problems. And he asks Holmes, can we be co-detectives? And Holmes says, you're not ready yet. And that night they both have hilarious dreams about their new paramours. And by hilarious, I mean, they, there's a lot of production value in them. <laughs> by hilarious, you mean, this was padding? Yeah. It, they should have called this movie Padding Ton Bear, because there's a ton of padding, and I can barely bear it. So where's the... T oh, no, I get it. It's all taken care of, Dan. I used every piece of that buffalo. There's nothing left. <laughs> Mathematically, that's a perfect joke. Yeah. And yet it shows the limits of math. <laughs> to explain the human heart. Yeah, you're right. Uh, now, Holmes believes that the killer is a one-armed tattoo artist. I don't remember how he came to this. He knows there's a one-armed tattoo artist named Klinger who's in the bad part of town. So to find him, they go undercover as a couple of ruffians, which means them just drinking all night, and they yeah. get very drunk and are, like, just doing dumb things. And they send a late-night drunk telegram to their new crushes. And I was waiting for the scene where the crushes get it, and they're like, ugh, what is this? And they're embarrassed. Nope, no repercussion. They just, they send it, and that's the end of that bit. Yeah. Because this is Holmes and Watson. It's, it's a comedy, it, so why should we care about anything? Because well, it's set in the old-timey times, but they, like, are making thin references to modern... To new-timey yeah, times. Yeah, modern, common things, like sending a sext or something. You or. have put your finger on one of the most overused types of gag in the movie, which is, they didn't have this modern thing back then, but what if they did? They'd probably give it a cumbersome name. So like, they end up at a gym in the next scene and there's a sign that says, cycle for your soul. And there's a guy barking through a megaphone at some people on those big, what are they, penny farthing bicycles? It's like soul cycle in olden times. What's that all about? Yeah, and the thing, like, I don't know, like, if there was one of these jokes in the movie, if they picked one, yeah, one really I, might, good one. I might have laughed at it because there's a point in this next scene that you're talking about where they have to fight and instead of saying, uh, let's get, get ready to rumble, the ring guy goes, 
Let's get ready to scuffle. Not just any you ring guy, Dan. Michael fucking Buffer, dude. Michael Buffer, the man who trademarked the phrase, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, well, that part I wouldn't like no matter what. But if there was and also, no and, other and, uh, and anachronism with, joke, I might think, oh, let's get ready to scuffle is a funny Victorian version of this. And It will make me... Uh, smile mildly. The corners of my mouth will upturn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As if a fishing line, unseen from the heavens, had dangled down and lifted those said corners. I mean, this also comes moments after Will Ferrell says, if you want to watch the fight, you've got to pay to view it. View per pay. We'll pay per view. And it's like, we get it. All right, okay. So they follow this tattooed man to the gym where... They, oh, they follow some tattooed man into a gym where Klinger is. Who's playing Klinger? Steve fucking Coogan. That's who. And I'm like... So the cast of the Sherlock Holmes comedy has been revealed to us. It should be Steve Coogan and Rob Ryden. Like, they're hilarious, they're English, we know they can work together, and because they made three movies together, yeah. with somewhat diminishing returns with each one, but what are you gonna do, you know? Uh, and so I'm like, why are you teasing me with the Sherlock Holmes comedy that could have been? Oh, there's more teasing to come later. But anyway. Uh, Elliot they, teases you. <laughs> yeah, that's a tease of a tease, a double tease, if you will. Two T's, that's how you spell Elliot. Anyway, so. Is that the entirety of how you spell Elliot? Yep, that's it. <laughs> The other letters are all just kind of hidden. <laughs> the rest is gravy. <laughs> oh, the T's are what hold it up. The rest is just for show, make it look pretty. Those T's are the structural part. Uh, they, they have to fight a huge guy. Moriarty shows up too. Klinger and Moriarty were working together, and they're like, you have to fight this big guy. The big guy gets, Watson beats him over the head with a chair until he is dead? I don't know, it's hard to tell. And uh, Moriarty kills Klinger, stabs him in the back, and they pull out the knife and hurl it at Moriarty to reveal that he's not Moriarty. He's a man named Jacob Musgrave who looks just like Moriarty and was wearing a fake beard. As Holmes had postulated earlier in the movie, one is led to believe that Holmes is such a buffoon that he is, has been blinded by his own arrogance. And he's denying the obvious evidence. Yes, in front of but him. Holmes is actually right. This is a fake Moriarty. He is, in a way, a great mouse detective. <laughs> in, in, in a way. I mean, he's like... Three of those four things. He's great. He's yeah. a detective. The so there's only 70, one of them. He's 75 percent of a great master detective. <laughs> yeah, uh, some would say the most important ones. Yeah. I would say, as as Dan was talking about statistics in his presentation, there's a st very little statistical difference between him and a great master detective. <laughs> so like like we, how chimps and, and humans share most of their DNA. Exactly, and which is very nice of us to do with them because they don't pay us or anything. <laughs> <laughs> we Does get that... nothing from that transaction. Does that mean Dracula and Bunnicula are very similar? <laughs> I'm glad you raised that question. They are 50% related. The icula part. Okay. <laughs> or the cula part. The i is, I guess, junk DNA, maybe Neanderthal yeah. DNA, a distant relative. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Drac and Wait, Bun the, are the not related. The i is in the, the bunny. Yeah. Why would it be Neanderthal? <laughs> I don't know what Neanderthals are doing. <laughs> the Flophouse has a, a new sponsor this week. It's uh, the book The Celery Stalks at Midnight. <laughs> Available now. And 23 and Me. Yeah. Uh, look, Neanderthals are extinct, Stuart. Maybe because instead of mating with each other, they were having sex with rabbits. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not an anthropologist. I can only suggest theories that hopefully the evidence will bear out someday. <laughs> Continuing back to the film. Uh, so, Holmes right, maybe it's not Moriarty, and they receive another clue, a lump of coal that they're told to bring to Newcastle. There is no joke in this clue, as we'll find out later. Uh, Holmes... Isn't there a phrase about bringing coal to Newcastle, though? Isn't that like a... 
thing. You would know better than me, Mr. Sherlock I'll Holmes look it guy. Up while you talk. Look which it is up. The, which is our usual uh, division of labor. You talk, and I'm sort of in the background. What? <laughs> mild, mild laughter from the audience because yeah. they know. No, I guess. Because uh... it was very awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> Have they weakened at Bernie's the Queen yet? No, that hasn't happened yet. Okay, so that's up next. Coals to Newcastle. A phrase meaning something brought or sent to a place where it is already plentiful. So Holmes and Watson is making reference to an outdated aphorism that none of us know. It's a smart movie. Yeah. Look, they can make new things into old stuff. They can make old things into new stuff. Holmes and Watson, try it today. You know? (laughs) Does both. Goes both ways. Odd Life of Timothy Green. Go on. (laughs) Holmes thinks that uh, their love interests, their Americans, might be the murderers or working for the murderer. Uh, And the Queen shows up to say, hey, I have two days to live if you guys don't solve this mystery. Uh, John C. Riley, of course, a huge fan. He decides he wants to take a selfie with the Queen. So some jokes about, oh, no, it's a photograph that I take myself. The best way to do it is to make a face like a duck-billed platypus. Watch this. And we watch as, instead of doing a joke about, like, oh, they're doing duck face, they then hit the queen in the face with the camera mm-hmm. accidentally, and they decide and, she's dead, yeah. and mush her into, try to mush her into a trunk, into a, into a, into a chest or whatever, uh, really being terrible with her body. And, of course, there's a part where Watson is trying to shove her in and it looks like he's humping her and starts slapping her yeah. butt for some reason. Yeah, this yeah. is, the, this point. is the Queen of England, by the way. And trust me, let me just say this. All I have right. to stand up for it. <laughs> I am no monarchist. I'm glad we're not part of the British Empire anymore. An unelected, <laughs> unelected monarch? No thank you. I want to have a say in who my leader is. Wow, now, Elliot's really uh, taking an unpopular stand here. Of course, <laughs> yeah. due to the systems put in place, I have much less of a say in who is my leader than other parts of the country geographically. That comes for the Senate also. But in theory, in theory, no dumb old lady uh-huh. <laughs> can just be born onto the throne and then tell me she's not amused. Well, I'm not amused by her. Take that, Queen Victoria. You got slammed. Thank you. Take that, Queen Victoria. Strong words. I once, I once was on a trip to Scotland, and I was in the lovely city of Glasgow. Uh huh. And is it my favorite Scottish city? Of course not. Edinburgh is. It's the best city in the world, maybe. So they they fry everything. I went into a restaurant and I had fried hamburgers followed by fried candy bars. They took French fries already fried and they battered and fried them. It's the greatest city in the world. Now, and I went, but I went to Glasgow where I assume they also do frying. And there was this big open plaza with statues of great Scots, you know, and not like, great Scott, not like that, it was like... People are just standing around being shocked. Yeah, yeah, people from, from great people of Scotland. And there was a statue of Queen Victoria, these others like, people who invented things are there, great statesmen, only one woman, which was Queen Victoria, I mean, that's obviously a problem with history, that imbalance. The only woman there is Queen Victoria because she visited Glasgow once. So they put up a statue because she visited there once. Dan, if that was the case, there would be so many Popeyes across this great nation that had statues of me in them. <laughs> and I feel a little offended that there aren't. You know, Elliot, before we started this show, uh, the, our point person at the venue said, there is no hard out for the show, and I think you took that a little too much All right. to your own heart. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Queen Victoria's there. They uh, think they've killed her, and they are abusing her body terribly. They're, uh, they're, and uh, once her guards run in, and they're literally about to dismember her with a bone saw to get rid of her body, when she wakes up, asks for a copy of the selfie photograph, and leaves abruptly. Well... So there you have it. The movie almost cut a live woman up. <laughs> yeah. This is the moment at which the audience 
almost kills themselves because they're like, surely there's no more laughs to be had in life. We must deliver ourselves over to the afterlife where perhaps there's more humor to be had. But Holmes and Watson has used all of it up on Earth. There's none. It's a precious resource, and they've used it hey, all. Hey, Elliot, uh, did you do anything else fun while you were in Scotland? Okay. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I've been there a couple times. Jesus Christ. Obviously. I mean, there's Edinburgh Castle is beautiful. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. It's got such history. Uh, and I was, I was online for the, for the tour, and I could see there were lots of people there who were Scottish, and uh-huh. the castle's been there a thousand years. And it really struck me. I was like, I live in a country where most of the people in it can pinpoint, for the most part, when their ancestors came to this country. And to live in a place where your family, as far as you know, has always lived for thousands of years, it was, I was like, that's such a different it's, experience yeah, from my really own. I found that really interesting. Anyway, not necessarily one's better than the other, but just a different experience. Of yeah. course, my wife and I, on a different trip, we hiked the last three days of the West Highland Way. Beautiful hiking. Yeah, yeah. From the moors to the forest. It was a fairy tale land. Uh-huh, yeah. I had haggis every dinner while I was there. Stuart. If there's one person who does not need to be encouraged, <laughs> it's Elliot. Dan, as a great man once said, if you remove whatever is impossible, <laughs> then whatever is left behind, I will talk about forever. Those were, those were the immortal words of Lizzie McGuire? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Or Alex Mack, I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, there's, so Holmes is like, we're going to seduce the American ladies and make them reveal their secrets. So they go on a picnic and for reasons that are too stupid to get into, Holmes is like, no, actually, I guess they're okay. So that's, that was a dead end. Now, <laughs> they decide they have to go talk to the only other smartest man in England. That's right. Sherlock Holmes has a brother. Okay. His name, Dan? Mycroft. Now, Dan, up to this point, the movie's been pretty close to the Holmes camp, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, not perfect. When they break that beehive with a cricket bat, mm-hmm. when they have uh-huh. to shove Queen Victoria's dead body into a trunk, <laughs> Uh, that's all, all the masturbation stuff. Like, that's all from the original Conan Doyle stories, yeah. right? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I, it's almost like, so I know that this old story of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle not wanting, being tired of Sherlock Holmes yes. and trying to kill him in, what, the final question? Final, the final problem. The final problem. Uh, and it's almost like, and then this, he decided instead to write the dumbest Sherlock Holmes story ever. It's like, this will cure them of their love of Holmes. <laughs> I'll just make it bad. What if he vomits into a bucket repeatedly? What if he eats an onion like an apple and just keeps talking about it? <laughs> but uh, they, he goes to t- see Mycroft Holmes. Okay, imagine my delight and then disappointment when I discover who is playing Mycroft Holmes. Dan, can you, who is playing Mycroft Holmes? I can't even say it. <laughs> Mr. Hugh Laurie. That's right, Mr. Hugh Laurie who could also have conceivably played a buffoonish Sherlock Holmes in a comedy. So this movie- He's played a buffoon, he's basically played Sherlock Holmes, put them together. (laughs) Come on, it's not rocket science, people. So the movie has been teasing us with three other possible leads for the movie. Four if you count Rebecca Hall, which I will for that matter. Sure. I would love that. And yet, has there ever been a lady Sherlock Holmes with like a lady Watson? In a non-porno. Yes, I think that I'm, I wish that went I mean, without there's saying. There's a female Watson in Elementary with Johnny Lee Miller. No, but I mean both. But I can't, I'm sure there has. A I Sherlock think. Holmes, if you will. <laughs> I won't. I will not do that, sir. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, submitted and rejected. All right. I something respect. about it feels sexist. I don't know what, but I don't like it. What about a black Sherlock Holmes and a black Watson? No. <laughs> I mean, like, let's do it, but don't get into it. Okay. <laughs> 
I'm all in support of it. I'm not in support of you discussing it. All right. I guess I'm not the right person for it. Anyway, uh, so and once again, Mycroft Holmes and Sherlock Holmes, they're so smart, they talk to each other just with their brains telepathically. And, uh, and Mycroft says, this has to be someone who is close to you. They know your methods, and they're using them against you. And so Holmes accuses the person closest to him, Watson, and says, he says, Watson, you wanted the credit, and I wouldn't give it to you. So you did this, and they take Watson away, and everyone is kind of surprised at what a jackass Holmes has just been. Yeah, and it's, it's, playing, on, it's playing on the idea floated by that great movie, Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> That Watson, tired of Sherlock, would finally snap and become the bad guy. Yeah, fine, tired of living the shadows. I mean, now, Dan, did you ever think as a, as a Sherlockian that you would see a movie that would make you return to Sherlock Gnomes as a better, <laughs> more accurate representation <laughs> of the character? Is a better Sherlock Holmes movie. Like, the thing is, the conception of Sherlock Holmes... Because correct me if I'm wrong. Sherlock Holmes, the story is... You were is so excited to say so that, that you were literally dribbling like water from your mouth from the bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need some clarification. So Sherlock Gnomes is named that because he's a garden gnome. Is Sherlock Holmes named that because he's made out of a home? <laughs> he's made out of the Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Oh, right. Now, yeah, because correct me if I'm wrong, this is what I want to say. I'm not as Sherlockian like you. In the canon, is he a gnome? <laughs> I mean... I literally opinion. spilled water on myself because I wanted to say that to you. Yeah, yeah, that was your most Columbo delivery. <laughs> uh, one more thing, one more thing. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, is he a gnome? <laughs> I mean, a little, more, a little more Sylvester Stallone there, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I just want to know, Dan. Uh, oh, he shows up every once in a while. You know, it's a good question. Is he a gnome? I mean, he's smaller than me in the movies. I'm actually kind of a short guy in real life, but uh, like, he's kind of a wimp. He couldn't beat me in a fight, and the gnome couldn't beat me in a fight either. I mean, Sherlock Holmes is kind of an, he's an expert in boxing, among other <laughs> yeah. oh, forms uh, of... An expert in boxing? Uh, my name's Rocky Balboa. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, Rocky. I don't know what that means. <laughs> also, my name's Sylvester Stallone. I'm a distant character. You don't have to call me Rocky. I do it as a form of I know, respect. you get it occasionally. <laughs> I, I extend it to you as respect. The way I would, you know, uh, call the queen the queen, her majesty, All right, rather yeah. than by her name. Because it's like, I know I sometimes confuse myself as my characters, but I've been hit on the head a lot. <laughs> so I don't, I wouldn't expect you to do the same. I think you know I am Academy Award winning screenwriter. No, that's not true. I lost, of course, to uh, Patty Chayefsky, <laughs> the hack. I, you but know I what? tell myself that because guess who's still around? Not Patty Chayefsky. You know, you know, you know. Hey, hey, let me call up Patty Chayefsky and see if he won a can. He's dead. You know what? You know what, Mr. Sloan? I appreciate you fact-checking yourself call in the me, middle of your monologue. Yeah, call me Sly. <laughs> All right, Sly. Because that's me, Sly and the family Stallone. <laughs> it's true, I have a family and they have the same last name as me. Oh, I know, I'm aware of your brother Frank. Don't ever talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should get going. I just came to Portland so I could have some, uh, I don't know, whatever they do here. <laughs> so I'm, glad that, I'm glad that you did the research, Sly. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. You really see me as the kind of guy who's just gonna crack it open an encyclopedia and just look up under P for Portland? No, I look up under S for Stallone. <laughs> to remind myself if I am a oh, guy God. who was a prisoner of war or if I wasn't a guy. Motherfucker. Was I? Did I live in Copland at one point? I can't remember. 
was I? I can't remember if I'm a race car driver. Yeah, you got. I need an escape plan from this bit. <laughs> yeah, like so. Was I in jail and I escaped? Or was that a character that I did? <laughs> oh, God damn. Yeah, yeah. Can you? Uh, are you gonna see the daylight ever? <laughs> yeah, it's a real cliffhanger. Okay. And that's the Sylvester Stallone bit. All right. Thank you. So. We find ourselves at the beginning of Act 3, end of Act 2 crisis. Watson has been arrested. Holmes finds that he finds he misses his friend, especially when he reads Watson's diary, which is just all about how great Sherlock Holmes is. Holmes starts to cry. He feels emotions again, those emotions that he shoved away. That's right, the movie is pretending we care about the plot now, and he sings a song about how he misses his friend. A song was written by Alan Menken. <laughs> Uh, of, of, uh, originally Minkin and Ashman, before Ashman, unfortunately, uh, sadly died, but, yeah. like, you may know, uh, for instance, the Little Mermaid songs, Minkin and Ashman. Do you, uh, can you name yeah. any of the songs? Or you yeah. Uh, Kiss the Girl. Yeah. That's the one you went for under first? The, <laughs> un, under the sea. Not under the f damn sea? <laughs> I, I gotta say, I'm a, I'm a bigger Kiss the Girl fan. Really? When I was a kid, I owned the Little Mermaid on VHS in the big clamshell Disney library table. Also, box. also Little Shop of Horrors, by the way. That's on. not a Little Mermaid song. And uh, I would watch Under the Sea, and then I would stop the tape, I would rewind it to the beginning of Under the Sea, and I would watch that song again. Because you know what? It got my little toes tapping. <laughs> and I'm still a little, and it still gets my toes tapping. <laughs> so uh, they sing a song. There's no real jokes in the song. It's just a It's, it's just, it's a just an example of more uh, talent thrown at this movie. Like... Speaking of music, Mark Mothersbaugh does the fucking score of Devo, known uh, for doing the soundtracks to Wes Anderson movies like Rugrats. Yeah, amazing, amazing guy. Just like, wait, so much Where, talent. Wes Anderson made the, yeah. Wait, did Wes Anderson make the Rugrats movie? Yeah. yeah, 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 he made the Rugrats movie. It was called Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> uh, so for Sherlock Holmes, it's no, like, no, wait, Watson's innocent. He would never frame me. He would never do this to me. And I love him. He's my friend. And Watson is about to be hung. Uh, he's watching them test out the rope, which this is kind of a funny joke. Oh, this, is this is definitely, let's give the movie okay. credit. This is definitely are, a funny joke. And we'll say, this is not a movie without laughs. There are funny jokes. There are oases in the desert of otherwise bits that don't work. There are funny jokes in the movie. Holmes it's, and Watson, <laughs> I'll give you that. There are funny jokes in you. Yeah, but it's like, it's like panning for gold in like, a cesspool. <laughs> wow. Wow. Rough. Now, what, what made you think there'd be gold in this cesspool, Dan? Because usually gold well, is in, know, like, streams seen, that come down a mountain. Have you seen the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I have, indeed. So, like Tom Waits, I just, you know, I dug in several cesspools, and okay. I put little flags up. Uh -huh. And when there's more gold... <laughs> and you were like, I'm going to get you, Mr. Cesspool. You can't stop me. That's right. Mr. Cesspool. <laughs> well, that's our Buster Scruggs bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, should we talk about Buster? No, we shouldn't talk about Buster Scruggs for a while. Anyway, uh, so they're t but the joke is they're testing out the, the noose and they're using a, a man made out of straw. And, the, and they test it and it goes through the trap door and its head pops off and then two dogs run out to tear it apart. Yeah. And Watson's like, the dogs seem a bit much. <laughs> but then a mystery figure enters the, his cell and brings him a piece of cake. And that's when it all comes together for Watson. It turns out the real killer, should I reveal it? Uh-huh, yeah, sure. It was Mrs. Hudson all along, their housekeeper, who is turned out to be Moriarty's daughter. That's right, oh. Moriarty has a daughter. Her name, his name is Mrs. Hudson, a character who up to now has only been shouted at by uh -huh. Holmes and Watson, 
and and, and, and it implied and, that she and entertains at one point. Yeah, she's it's implied well, she that she she's inter- a prostitute. She entertains the affections of what Albert Einstein. It's a man that he's a, so there are three. She has her, these three henchmen who, and I'm like, those guys kind of look like Albert Einstein, Mark Twain, and Charlie Chaplin. But that's weird. In the credits, they're listed as Mark Twain, Albert Einstein, Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> So there must be some bit that got cut. Because otherwise, it's such a weird... It's the same way it would be weird to put a woman in a striking blue dress and give her no lines of dialogue. It would be weird to dress up some extras, basically, in the costumes of historical figures, credit them as such, and, honestly, and give them nothing to honestly, do. Honestly, that is the part of the movie I respect the most. Yeah. To have a character have sex with three historical figures and never mention it. Not since Tim Heidecker walked through Bridesmaids with nary a line of dialogue, and I began to wonder if they knew he was on set when they shot the film. Not since then have I been so baffled by the use of background players. Very strange. Well, but chalk it up to the mastery of Ethan Cohen, the man who made Garfield and Garfield A Tale of Two Kitties. The man who probably apocryphally uh, Bill Murray thought was There's Ethan no Cohen. Yeah, that's what, so they asked Bill Murray in a, what, a GQ interview? They're like, why yeah. did you do Garfield the movie? He's like, oh, I thought it was Ethan Cohen of the Cohen brothers. It's like, that's not true, dude. <laughs> then you did a second one. So like, come on. <laughs> did you think, oh, this time they really got it? <laughs> there yeah. was, Fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on Bill Murray, is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm shame on him all the time. I don't know. He does all sorts of, he ruins people's weddings. I don't know. <laughs> This will be hilarious. I'll go in and be in all the wedding pictures. Maybe they want one picture that you're not in, Bill Murray. It's their special day. Don't make it all about you. I was about to call him Fletch, but that's Chevy Chase. He has a special day. It's called Groundhog's Day. (laughs) Very true. Okay, so uh, Sherlock, he realizes it. This is uh, Mrs. Hudson wants to kill the queen and defeat Sherlock in order to win her dad's love. He never would have realized it because love was alien to him until Millicent, Lauren Lapkus' character that I realized we didn't name, and she doesn't talk because earlier they say she was raised by cats, and that's why she doesn't talk. Anyway, uh, there's another funny joke. I have to say another funny joke where everyone is mad at Sherlock, and they like you know do their thing. They all storm out, (laughs) saying different things to him. Millicent angrily like hands him a note. Storms off and he opens it up and it's a child's drawing of a cat. <laughs> Genuinely funny, but moving on. Uh, and so he, he goes and he frees Watson from the trap that he's been put into by Mrs. Hudson and they know there's a bomb on the Titanic where, uh, and they're like, ah, oh, we had to bring coal to a new sort of castle. And it's like, what? Come on, that doesn't make sense. Nobody at the time was like, a castle on the sea? This is nuts. Like, the, uh, and uh, this is also where. This is something that shouldn't bother me in a movie called Holmes and Watson, where Sherlock Holmes and John Watson are buffoons. Uh-huh. But that it's like this is clearly taking place in like the 1890s, right? Because uh-huh. Holmes mentions that he is that he is 46. This is when where he, he is a kid. Elliot does a little Sherlocking of his own. Yeah, he's a kid in 1867. Let's say he's six years old. That means yep. he must be born in 1861. If he's, he's 46, the year is Elliot's, 1907 at Elliot's, the latest. Elliot's calculating the trajectory mm-hmm. of he's the He's in his memory palace life. right now. When was the Titanic launched? Let me go to that room. Uh, the Titanic room. Let's see. Uh, 1912. Hold on a second. Sherlock Holmes movie. You got it all wrong when the Titanic was launched. <laughs> we I, got him. We got him. Shut him down, boys. I, think Queen, I, think, I don't know Queen Victoria's birth and death days. I think she had died by then. I, what was it? You. When was it? 1901. Thank you. Well, let the jury. They don't have a clue. Always getting on the table. I point to this expert witness who has attested that Queen Victoria, who we've just seen with the defendants, Holmes and Watson, died in 1901, and yet we are to believe she was present on the Titanic 
right before her maiden voyage. I have this newspaper with today's date on it. Yeah. With an article about the Titanic that mentions that it was launched in 1912. And so I postulate to you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you must find Holmes and Watson both guilty of not caring about history. The worst crime there is. Thank you. The sentence, of course, is that we're going to finish talking about the movie any minute. Okay, yeah, so... We're very close to the end. They know where the bomb is, and Sherlock is trying to calculate in his head the best way to get rid of it, but he keeps thinking about Millicent. He's being distracted by love. Watson is going to have to do it, and Watson's the one who also deduced where the bomb is. Watson, he just runs through and pushes people aside, killing a lot, like, using up time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I guess one more, one more joke I genuinely like... Like, they, like, whenever Sherlock is doing his calculations, they pull something from the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes was like, trajectory of this, X equals whatever. Like, they do, like, a little thing where he's, like, his brain is going through they all the... They do it earlier when he's drunk yeah. and he's, he's trying to calculate the trajectory of his pee when he's not, peeing not against funny. a wall. Not so funny. it doesn't get his shoes. That one is not funny, but this one's... But this, this one's pretty funny because Watson is, is trying to do the same thing. But he is he does, Watson. He doesn't understand the math, so he's yeah, like, oh, it's so hard. Is that an X or a plus sign? Like, <laughs> the math is appearing in his head, but he doesn't know how to do it. It was a fun... And John C. Riley, he's trying John to John C. Riley is genuinely funny in this movie, even though the movie is terrible. Like, yeah, he is a good comedian, and this movie is so bad. The man's a trained clown, and yeah. he, he knows what he's doing when it comes to comedy. I mean, Will Ferrell obviously knows what he's doing when it comes to comedy, but he doesn't seem to care that much in this one. Anyway, uh, so Watson throws the bomb. Of course, this being a movie, it lands in the boat of the bad guy who says, oh shit, right before the bomb explodes. The most cliched thing a bad guy can say when a bomb lands at their feet. Uh, the yeah, uh, that's small comfort to somebody who's just been exploded, though. <laughs> the small comfort is that I'm also I'm ripping on them for a cliche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, you have one second to live. Come up with something original, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the day is saved, and Sherlock Holmes shares the credit with Watson. Uh, the next day, I guess, they say farewell to their ladies as they board the Titanic back to New York. Who else is there but Billy Zane, who they call out as Billy Zane, not playing his role in Titanic. They just say, look, it's Billy Zane. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> Billy Zane is still with us. Are we to believe that he is a Highlander? <laughs> Perhaps one of these immortals we've heard so much about? A vampire? One of your Robert Pattinsons? I think not. Watson gives Holmes a present. It's a deerstalker cap. Finally, the right hat. Which means that this came before every other Sherlock Holmes story, right? Oh, yeah, no. Uh, and finally, we have the origin story for Sherlock Holmes' hat. Wonderful. <laughs> and they're friends again. And then there is maybe the most baffling scene in the entire movie. Uh -huh. We cut to, it's the Old West on o the Oklahoma frontier, or some frontier. We're in a so What? Wyoming. Wyoming. Thank you. It's the Wyoming frontier. It's a big country up there, you know? Yeah, it's oh like, boy, <laughs> big sky country because this, they've done the studies. The sky is not wider as people think, but actually thicker there. There's more layers yeah, of sky. Yeah. It's built up over the years, fatty like deposits a, it's of sky. It's like a paste, just like a toothpaste. Yeah, you gotta exactly. walk through. Yeah. You gotta walk through the sky, and it gets all over your clothes. Yeah, it's uh -huh. a gross state. A gross, gross state. <laughs> wow. They dug. They actually dug a hole in Jackson to get away from the sky because the sky was so thick it was pushing people down. Uh -huh. So they dug a hole so that they could be like, "Ooh, get the sky off my shoulders for a moment." Yeah, that's why. Uh, <laughs> that's why. Uh, uh -huh. Fuck. God damn it. Yep. No, work your way through That's this. why Johnny Cash and Jude Carter Cash were going to Jackson to get away from the sky. Continue. Uh -huh. Oh, well, they're talking oh, about a different we... Jackson in that one. That's not Jackson Let's... Hole, but it's... Yeah, Continue, Elliot. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I submit 
So this last final scene, he's in Wyoming, it's the Old West. Someone's in a saloon reading in a newspaper how the Titanic sank, but a lady doctor saved 700 lives. Uh, which, that's, of course, Rebecca Hall's character. Uh, someone hands a note to this man. I mean, who you turns just out, call her a doctor. No, but the headline says, Lady oh, okay. Doctor Saves Sunday. Uh, then I'm talking to the newspaper. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, the past should have been better to ladies. Yeah, you're right. I don't know who's at fault here. I assume it's history, but... Uh, so, it, uh, someone hands a telegram to Moriarty that says, We know where you are and we're coming to get you, Holmes and Watson. He lowers his newspaper and looks at the bar where Holmes and Watson are standing there wearing cowboy hats, but then someone walks by and they're gone. And it cuts to credits, and I'm like... Wait, so is the final joke supposed to be that Moriarty lives forever in fear that Holmes and Watson yeah, are going to come yeah, yeah. kill him? Because it's not funny, and they can't be setting up a sequel, right? <laughs> so what is this scene doing there? I submit to you. Yes. In a world where there are 51 minutes of deleted scenes with this movie, why didn't they just go ahead and make it 53? <laughs> Dan Stewart, what are your theories? Why did they include this moment? I don't get it. My theory is, uh, we've gone very long, let's go to Final Judgments. <laughs> About this not movie. Really a theory. <laughs> not in the scientific sense, but uh, is this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked Elliot? I think it's a bad, bad movie. There's a, there are some good jokes in it, but it gets me mad. One is just like, there's a lot of nothing in this movie. It's not funny enough for the amount of nothing in it, but also it gets me mad that they're like, hey, you like Sherlock Holmes? Sure. You like comedy? Of course I do. You like Rob Brydon? Yeah. You like Hugh Laurie? Who doesn't? You like Steve Coogan? He's maybe the funniest person there is. Guess what? They're not the stars of this movie. <laughs> but you will see them, and it will taunt you with the movie that could have been. So I'm gonna say bad, bad, for getting me all worked up over what could have happened. Yeah, I'll, I'll make it quick. Like, for me, the problem is what I said before. Like, I'm not saying you can't make a good Sherlock Holmes comedy, but you're bumping up against the idea of like, okay, this guy is simultaneously the most intelligent person in the world, and a complete ass, but not like in an ass that like makes sense. Like you can be the most intelligent person in the world. And believe me, Dan knows what asses make sense. Yeah, no, but like you can be the most you can be the most intelligent person in the world and still be an ass. Like you can be arrogant, you can be foolish, you can like because uh -huh. you're so smart, you like miss the obvious. But he's so smart and he, as Elliot said before, hits a, a glass case of bees with a cricket bat. So uh -huh. uh, the math just doesn't add up, Stuart. Yeah, I mean, it's a bad, bad movie. It feels like, you know, a couple of performers put, uh, put some effort in, but it feels like everyone else doesn't give a shit. I mean, it's a big waste of talent. There's a lot yeah. of great performers in this, and some of them are trying really hard, some of them are trying less hard, but give them, give them better stuff to do. Give them more to do. Give them, give them a dream. <laughs> no. A dream? No. Oh, no, it's not time for my song yet. Okay. Yeah, all right. Uh... <laughs> If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I There were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer who saved her life. Farm-raised snow leopard. True. Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one, or weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. Hey, everyone. It's I, John, 
Hodgman of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And I, Elliot Kalin of the Flophouse podcast. And we've made a whole new podcast, a 12-episode special miniseries called iPodius, in which we recap, discuss, and explore the very famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome called I, Claudius. We've got incredible guests such as Gillian Jacobs, Paul F. Tompkins, as well as star of I, Claudius, Sir Patrick Stewart, and his son, non-Sir Daniel Stewart. Don't worry, Dan, you'll get there someday. I, Claudius is the name of the show. Every week from MaximumFun.org for only 12 weeks. Get them at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now a quick word from Squarespace. Guys, you aren't chumps. You've been listening to podcasts. You know what Squarespace is. It's a way to build websites, to turn your cool idea into, you know, like something other people can see out in the world. You can blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and much more. And Squarespace helps you do this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers. Oh, so many times have I wanted my designers to be world-class, but I'm like, I can't afford that. Well, go to Squarespace. Everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. Out of the box. This is a figurative box. Squarespace doesn't send you a box, to my knowledge. It is a internet company that helps you build websites so an actual physical box would be uh, extraneous let's call it but everything is optimized for mobile out of the figurative box a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions free and secure hosting hey if you want to take advantage of this go to squarespace.com flop for a free trial and when you're ready to launch Use the offer code FLOP to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Guys, did I say 10% correctly? Here's the thing. Without Elliot to make fun of me, I really can't tell. That's the problem. It sounds the same to my Midwestern ears. The other sponsor this week is Raycon. R-A-Y-C-O-N, that's ray, like the rays of the sun, and con, like the beginning of Connecticut. Look around you. It's a wireless world. Are there wires in you? Probably not, unless you're Michael Crichton's The Terminal Man. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair of earbuds... You need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. They start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands. Imagine if that last sentence had been coming out of Raycon earbuds into your ears. And Raycon's latest model, E25, is their best one yet, with six hours of playtime Seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Guys, look, I, I, I don't want to dwell on the negatives. I was worried about 
wireless earbuds when they were a thing because I'm like, oh, oh man, I'm, they're gonna fall out of my ears. I'm never gonna, they're gonna, I'm gonna lose them and they're gonna what? Oh no, I'm an old man. I'm shaking my fist in a cloud. But I, I use these Raycon earbuds. They fit snugly. I'm never worried that they're gonna go uh, a tumbling. Uh, I can just tap my ear when I want my podcast to start back up or to pause it. I don't have to fish my phone out from my pocket, uh, which is filled with, you know, uh, jacks and, uh, uh, you know, a a, a slingshot and probably a a horny toad I found out when I was down by the creek. Um, I don't want I don't need to do any of that anymore. I have to fish anything out of my pocket, including earbuds with tangled wires. Oh my God, how they get tangled. You're just walking around. How does it happen? Only God knows for sure. Now's the the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash flophouse. That's buyraycon.com. Dot com slash flophouse for fifteen percent off Raycon wireless earbuds by Raycon.com slash flophouse. And now back to the movie that personally offended me as a Sherlock Holmes fan, although I guess by this time in the podcast we're moving on to uh, interaction with the audience. Holmes and Watson, enjoy the live show. Moving on. Okay, what do we do now? Uh, now we talk to people who might have questions in the audience. Uh, we have gone longer than we normally do because uh, we have felt way too comfortable with the uh, wide open heart out that this theater has given us. But, Dan, uh, I was going to go longer than we normally do, regardless of what they told us. <laughs> There's no internal clock in this guy. Fair. Uh, but if people would like to ask questions, you do not have to. Do not feel that you must, unless you're moved it's to the good question. But, but there are two microphones uh, on either side of the stage. There's a microphone not, over there. There's a microphone, there's a microphone over there. The and you know what? We'd love to hear these questions. But Dan, uh, I thought first, you know, I had a dream last night. And I thought I might tell everybody about it. <sighs> I dreamed last night I was on a plane to Portland. <laughs> and by some chance, I was standing on a stage. All right, you're doing the adult thing. I like this. And there I stood. And I said, I'm going to waste some time with the song. <laughs> but my co hosts there were filling up with rage. <laughs> and my co host said, Shut up, shut up, and answer the questions. My co host said, Shut up. Shut up and answer the questions. Because the people are getting mad and your singing is giving them indigestion. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up and answer the questions. Thank you, thank you. You know, this song irritates me on two levels. Okay, bring it on, tell me. One is so good. Just the normal level of the fact that you're singing a song. And number two, I love that song. I wish I could sing it in in, in a musical. Not that song, the one you're referencing. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because, Dan, I had another dream that I'll tell you about. Okay. (laughs) I dreamed a dream of this whole thing. But in the dream, we all were naked. (laughs) But it was cool, it wasn't a thing. But boy, boy, Dan, was your face red. (laughs) I don't know how the rest of that song goes. I've never seen Les Mis. 
Someday. I've got so much stuff going on in my life. Something about tigers coming at night, you know, whatever. Somebody what? The tigers coming at night. Wait, a tiger's coming at night? Yeah, something like that, right? I've got to see this movie. Everyone, everyone, sing together. Okay, they should call the movie Liz Tigers. Okay, let's start with a question over here. Oh, wait, let me just say one thing. Don't worry about starting your question by telling us how, how much you love the show, we know it. Thanks so much for being here, we really appreciate it. So just take it for granted we know that already. All right, answer your question. Hi, um, my name's Harley. Hello. Hi. Um, Hello. I, I know that you don't want to talk about it, but I just want to say to Stuart that me and my buddy over there um, had a great time with the head of the Invisible Freak. Yay! Yes. And we were on that and it was great. Anyway, so my question. I'll let that one pass, that's all right. <laughs> um, so my question is, is, is both um, calling out and legitimately asking my hero, Elliot, um, who, who Wait, has what? fallen. Oh, I don't like the calling out part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am kind of like, I really like animation. That's my favorite kind of movie. And when me and my friend watched the Emoji movie, we felt that this is possibly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I feel very strongly about that. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh boy, I can't wait for the floppers to really dig their teeth in this one. And when I watched your episode, I was brokenhearted to see my own favorite Elliot Kalen not get that mad. He wasn't that mad and he wasn't yeah. that like angry about it. And I was uh, like, Elliot, you were supposed to be my friend in this. <laughs> you were yeah, supposed Elliot, to be how do you explain me? your presidency of the Emoji Movie fan club? <laughs> Hey, look, a guy, a guy, you know, it's uh, T.J. Miller, such a great guy, you know, I just can't... <laughs> 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 I think, you know what I think it was? I, even having to watch that movie for the Flophouse, I was so relieved knowing that I did not have to take my son to go in the theaters, <laughs> and that he would never see it, and never ask me to see it with him. I was like, you know what? I, I dodged a big bullet here. Uh, a Mario Brothers-sized bullet. Those really big ones. So, but it is a... It is a piece of garbage. Yeah. Like, it's a terrible movie. So, I, next time I'll be angrier, I promise. <laughs> but this is what my actual um, question for all the floppers and Elliot. Um, uh -huh. Was there ever a movie you saw that you were really excited to hear, like, some, like, if you had a crit critic that you really liked, or just like a friend whose opinion you really respected, and you were really excited to hear what they had to say about it, but it turned out to be the exact opposite, or just straight up not what you were expecting? Mm. I mean, I, when I was a uh, Kid, I read. I, I was a weird kid. What a surprise! Uh, I was a weird kid. I read a lot of Roger Ebert's reviews. Like I just like would read his yearbooks cover to cover, and uh, I found him to be a very fun writer on movies. But he had occasionally really, really baffling views uh -huh. on things. Like he hated Blue Velvet for one, but also like Raising Arizona. He gave like a one and a half star review to, and. It's there were gasps from the audience. Well, yeah. rightfully so, because it's fucking raising Arizona. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's so I mean, like, who knows how he was feeling that day? You know, uh, I think it was Robert Warshow who talks about like you have an immediate experience of a movie, and you can't always control that, and it's something that has to be visceral, you know. Right, but like, it's, so maybe he was not feeling well that day. I don't know. But it, I, if I recall his review uh, well enough, like, it's one of those cases where he has an objection that you're like. How is that your thing? Like, he said, said something like, oh, I'm willing to believe in this modern day there are people who have interesting and, and flamboyant uh, ways of speaking, but the, everyone in Raising Arizona talks in such a mannered way. Like, I cannot believe... Like, it's just like, that's part of the, what's wonderful about that movie. Well, I could see how 
So, I mean, I don't know why I'm defending him. I love Raising Arizona, but <laughs> I think he's wrong. But I could see how, in a world where the Coen brothers are not yet the Coen brothers, right. and you don't go into the movie knowing they're all going to talk in a highfalutin manner, that you could get tired of it. The same way that, like, before it was like before Quentin Tarantino was Quentin Tarantino, uh -huh. it was like, ugh, the long speeches about stuff that's not related to the movie. <laughs> and it's like, mm, that's what he does, everybody. Like, now, now you go in and you know what's going to happen. I know. Stu, what do you think? Yeah, I was it when was it when Stuart Gordon said that the Castle Freak didn't rip his own ding dong off? <laughs> I mean that. I mean, I don't. I don't know why you bring that up in front of a bunch of people. I uh, I remember. I think one of my favorite experiences with a movie review was uh, when Birdman had come out, and there was a lot of like uh, buzz about like how it was you know possible Oscar buzz, and it. I remember going over to the Dissolve while it was still around and pulling up Scott Tobias' review, and I'm like, I can't wait to see what he says. And the first line of the review is, Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu is a pretentious fraud. And I was like, what? Like I put down my phone like it might burn my hand. <laughs> oh, it's fun, I don't like that movie. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if we totally answered your question, but thank you for being here. Appreciate I'm it. I'm glad that the one that one of the floppers doesn't like Birdman because I'm like one of the only people I know who doesn't like it either. Oh. <laughs> We're united in dislike of a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move over to the other part of. Let's this go to the day. other mic. Thank you. Hey everybody, yeah. thank you. Thank you. This is a question from Rob Schubert. First Hi, Rob. time, long time. So Stuart has expressed appreciation for ravishing Rick Rude's airbrush tights in the past. Sure, yeah. But he did one always, of the best. One of the best heels of. Wrestling history. Absolutely, yes. But he didn't always airbrush hot ladies onto them. Uh -huh. Sometimes he would airbrush his rival and what he was going to take from them, <laughs> like the Intercontinental Championship. So, if the floppers were to airbrush some tights uh -huh, yeah. to intimidate a rival, who would it be and what would you take from them? Well, we know you would take Inarado's two two-year-in-a-row Best Director Academy Awards. <laughs> Certainly. Oh boy. So Dan, who's your arch enemy? It's Aging? Yeah. <laughs> it's all our enemy. We don't oh all boy, we want to Elliot. Yodas. Yes, when I take my shirt off and I look in the mirror, aging is definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what is it? You, why don't you go? Why not, like, why I don't know. This, I don't have any enemies. I love everybody. <laughs> That's not true. I'm filled with hate. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard for me to narrow it down to just one thing I can airbrush onto tights. I guess, um, uh, I guess I gotta airbrush um, John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> and so I can, because I'm coming for him, because he's the greatest monster in American history. That can't be true. Well, no. Well, no, I guess, well, it's so, I mean, there's been so many monsters. Yeah. And not the fun kind of monsters. Stuart? Dan? Yeah, yeah. Stuart? What? I'm looking at you. We already talked about how I was going to take Inuritu's two Academy Awards. I mean, or I could take... I'm, uh, all right, that's fine. Whatever. I, uh, or I could take, take John Hodgman's, like, memory putty. He likes know, to stick on shit I mean, the all the time. Is, like, I'm standing here on stage trying to think of, is there an enemy of butts? And <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not sure there is. So. Like, like Levi Strauss? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Or like Lulu Lemon? <laughs> right, yeah. Sure, why not that? All right, let's move on. I... Thank you for the question. Like... You stumped us. That was, it's, it's, this is a new game called Stump the Floppers. You just won it. Over here, yes. Right. Uh, quick question here. Um, <laughs> so, 
I have a question. Some movies have a poor or just straight up awful intro or 50 minutes, but have a totally great movie that redeems itself. What is a film that starts out poor that you like that totally redeems itself later on? Mm, that's a good question because usually it's the endings where movies fall apart. Hmm. I'm sure there's mm. movies that have uh, like yeah that have like unnecessary prologues or bad prologues. Uh, oh uh, yeah, I got one. Uh, say John Carter, the John Carter movie. Oh yeah, that's a very good point. It yeah. opens on Mars for some crazy reason. Uh, it should open on Earth, uh, and the rest of the movie's great. I like it. <laughs> well, the fact yeah. the fact that that movie has like three openings basically. Like, yeah, it's there's... like so many nested narrative sequences. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I'm going to take that answer, too. Okay, cool. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, that's leaving me right. hung out to dry. Yeah. You can Brave also jump on the bandwagon. No, There's no, room no, in this no. tub for three men. <laughs> There's room on this baby for three men. <laughs> <laughs> there's a pusher, there's a baker, there's a candlestick maker on that already. I can't... Uh, uh, no, the only, like, the only thing that's coming to mind right now is... Um, you know, I'm... I don't know when this happened because, like, I'm a fan of comics, but I'm not necessarily like a huge uh, superhero comics fan growing up. But I, but I, but over the years, because Marvel has been so insidiously good at making me care about the characters they've introduced, uh -huh. like I became a very big fan of all those Marvel movies in a way that, like kind of somewhere deep in my heart as like a film buff, I'm like, you shouldn't like these as much as you do, but like I really do like them very much. And so I uh, went with my girlfriend to Captain Marvel, uh -huh. and well, she- you had trouble remembering her rank? <laughs> <laughs> Corporal Marvel. No, but like the- Midshipman Marvel? <laughs> uh, but she like is not like an MCU person. She's seen like three or four of them. I love that we live in a world where you, you're not considered a big fan of a series if you've only seen three or four of them. <laughs> I've only spent eight to ten hours with these movies. I'm not a big fan. Yeah. That's crazy. The point is just that, like, I watched Captain Marvel. I think Captain Marvel was a lot of fun, but the movie does start with a lot of outer space bullshit. Uh-huh. And I was sitting next to someone who's not necessarily, like, primed for outer space bullshit in the way that I'm like, outer space bullshit is fine! And I'm like... Am I going to have to apologize that I made her sit through all this outer space bullshit before we get to the fun part? But, like, thankfully, like, that I mean, was not the case. You didn't make the movie. It wasn't your that's choice. True. No, that's true. But you reminded me of, I would say, the movie itself doesn't totally redeem itself, but the movie Dune has some good stuff in it. Uh -huh. But to get to it, first you have to slog through that opening narration where it's like, why are you telling me about the robot rebellion? Like, the book Dune doesn't have anything about that. Like, I don't care how it got to here. Like, it's, there's warring houses that want this planet full of spice. That's all we need to know. I don't need to know about everything that happened yeah. between now and then. That's nuts. Enough. Anyway, Dune, you've been served. Get, get, yeah. Dune, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, take your shine box and go home, Dune. <laughs> I guess that's the reverse order. He's supposed to go home and get his shine box. But anyway, over there. For the purposes of shining. <laughs> You guys showed up in my life when I really needed you, and I really appreciate that. Um, Thank you. No, you're welcome. I, no, I, I'm sorry for laughing. I was just imagining it says, like, sort of touched by an angel figure. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so which Marvel movies actually lived up to the hype for you? Oh, wow. 
Uh, I'm kind of I'm such an easy audience for that stuff. I used to read a lot of superhero comics, and I don't. So I kind of like all of them, but uh, I don't know. Like, I never I never read a lot of Captain America comics, but those are seem to be the movies I like the best. So I'll say those. I like those. I mean, I don't know if uh, I don't know if as a nerd I really enjoy ranking Marvel movies. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I like the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I like Winter Soldier. Um, I like Spider-Man Homecoming very much. I think those are my... Pretty safe favorites. answers. Yeah. Well, I don't... <laughs> okay. I, or I mean, The Dark World. I'm going to go way wow. out of my What the fuck do you want, Stuart? Wow, out on a limb. Out on a bird on a wire over here. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, they, the, I thought Endgame lived up to everything I, I wanted it to be, pretty much. And that one had the most pressure on it for me because it's like... Well, I've spent over 10 years, I think, with these characters. <laughs> yeah. And in my comic book reading life, I've spent 30 years with these characters. So, like, can I spoil things about the movie, or is it still too, too early? No. no. Okay, I won't say anything about this movie. It's out of the theaters, I think. But, uh, it is, there's no possible way that movie's out of the theaters. Okay, that's really. true. This is something, and I've talked about this before, I think, on either our podcast or other podcasts. It really inspires me that America was divided. And it's become united around the concept of no spoilers. <laughs> that, like, I feel like not since that dark day 18 years ago has America felt such a unified sense of purpose than that we must not spoil these science fiction and fantasy related products. But, uh, but, there, but it was like, they, this thing better happen in the movie. And then it did. So that one, I was like, I was like uh, ready to be disappointed. And yet I walked out singing as happy a tune I can after what happened to some of those characters. <laughs> so, names not mentioned. Names redacted. Hi. Um, so when I was a kid, the scary hallucinations from young Sherlock Holmes really scared me. But rewatching the movie as an adult, not scary at all. Very goofy. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so my question is, um, are there any movies that really scared you as a kid and as an adult, not so scary? And what those movies, and what about the movie scared you? Oh, uh, Peewee's Big Adventure, the whole uh, large march scene. I had to cover my eyes when I knew she was gonna turn her head and her eyes were gonna bug out, and that ghost that drives a taxi cab in Ghostbusters, uh -huh. who's like a rotted head. Yeah, that's pretty I couldn't gross. look at those, and now I can watch it. And now large march, I'm like, oh, this is ridiculously goofy. Like, it's just stop motion animation, you know? But then you got something like Fool's Fire that uh, Julie Taymor made, oh, yeah. and that still frightens me, and, and it's like, it's all puppets except for two people, and it's like a retelling of Hop Frog, Hop Frog and it's like there's still something so creepy about that one. Yeah, uh, creepy puppets. I I'm gonna do the thing that politicians do and answer uh, a wider question that you didn't ask because I can't <laughs> think of a movie, but I do remember very uh, distinctly that I I have two older brothers, and older brothers love to continue talking about things long after they realize that they're terrifying you. Um, uh -huh. And there was one night when I was small when my brother put on um, Talking Head 77, which contains Psycho Killer on it, and I was listening to a scary song. song. I was listening to a song titled Psycho Killer, and he was explaining the plot to my other brother of uh, Carrion Death, the uh, Tales from the Crypt uh, EC comic story about a, uh, it's a uh, convict who uh, has another dead convict on, like handcuffed to him. He's going through the desert, and at the end, he's being pecked at by vultures. And the, the surprise uh. reveal is that he was already dead at that point. 
and oh, a startling take on the end of Frank Norris's novel McTeague. <laughs> but the point is like no, no fans of naturalist literature around here, I guess. The point Don't is make any like, jokes about the octopus, Frank Norris's other masterpiece. All right. <laughs> Is that about a killer octopus? It is not. It is about a fight between a railroad line and grain farmers. Okay. It's great, though. Well, here's a song, a new wave song by a band that would turn out to be my favorite band as I grew older, and a Tales of the Crypt story, which are inherently silly. As you grow older, you realize, oh, these are just goofy things, and I was so scared by the the confluence of these two events uh-huh. and, uh, and to the degree that I think my brothers got in trouble when my parents came home. Wow, you narked on them? Mm-hmm. Or were you like catatonic at that point? <laughs> yeah, I was like... Cool, the, well, the, I'm going to answer the actual question. Uh, I'll just... Uh, I'll just... Uh, <laughs> uh, Dan is crawling under the table. Cool. I assume to suck his thumb and rock back and forth. Uh, the movie I remember, I remember seeing uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 2 at a sleepover, and I was terrified of zombies for weeks. I would like, when I, when I was in bed, I would like wrap myself up in the covers in a ball so no zombies would see my body parts so they would devour them. Oh, there's no brain inside that, yeah. those sheets. And like watching it, like watching it as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is just a comedy. This is a comedy that just happens to have zombies in it. Uh, so yeah, Return of the Living Dead Part 2, watch it. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Good question, good question. Hey, Peaches. Uh, so, with the way that... Sure. Yeah, I know. You said Lots it. There. You said it, buddy. Too. We've all been there, look. So, if you had to take a movie that's been flopped... Uh-huh. And turned into a cinematic universe, preferably one that wasn't already attempted, like, say, the Tom Cruise mummy. What would it be? The dark universe. Hmm. Well, there was a certain Timothy Green who had a little bit of an odd life. <laughs> and I wonder, what other strange and mysterious creatures exist in a world where leaves can grow on a boy's legs? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he fights a Babadook, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean... We've already seen what happens when fairies and leprechauns have children. That creates dweegons, as we all know, from the hit movie Dweegons and Leprechauns. What other mythical creatures could have sex and have weird monster babies? I don't know. Wait, we're talking about Flophouse movies specifically? I forgot what the bit yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. You're oh, building a... You're right, Dan. Uh, that was 40 seconds ago. How is you're it? building a cinematic universe around uh-huh. movies that we have talked about on the Flophouse. Okay. Or that we've reviewed specifically, not we've talked about, because that'd be like, stop making sense all the time. Uh, let's say stolen and move on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> wow, all right. Okay. That's a good, I mean, that's a good one. Yes, sir. Hi, Ryan, last name withheld. Uh, you guys make a lot of references to the Muppets, and I wonder, are there other classic stories that you would like to see the Muppets take on? Like, let's say, the Muppets' Odyssey. Oh, I mean, it's not too different than that. I am surprised there hasn't been, like, a Muppets' Alice in Wonderland, and, I th- and that could be pretty fun, also because it opens it up to just having act after act after act, because Alice in Wonderland has no plot other than Alice, like, meeting a bunch of animals that are rude to her at different points. Yeah. So I don't know. But I, like, I mean, like, I think the Odyssey's a great choice. Yeah, or like Muppets Bonfire of the Vanities. Like, is, that, <laughs> is that an option? I, I would certainly 
prefer to see a movie where, let's say, Kermit is Sherlock Holmes and Fozzie is Watson. It's so perfect. Why haven't they done that yet? Yeah, and what we just watched. And Miss Piggy is, uh, what's her name? Irene Adler. Irene Adler. Uh And, like, uh, and Stanley Waldorf are, like, twin Moriarty's. Oh, and, and and Lestrade is like uh, Gonzo like, Scooter. I don't know. I would say Sam the Eagle because he's always like, oh, oh, those guys, oh, a couple weirdos. Oh, that's so perfect. Why haven't they done that? Dan, you gotta go make that now. Yeah. Like you have well, to come all back. Right. You gotta come back. I know what I have to do with my life. Fairly well, everyone. You gotta pitch that to the Henson Company. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, no, we just walked out. Okay. We never saw him again. No. Okay. Now that he's eventually we find him and he's just like a homeless man under a bridge with he's made Muppets out of like <laughs> discarded rags. I did it. I did it, Elliot. <laughs> hey, hey, I did what you told me. Hey, hey, am I a good boy now? Do I get all the butts now? Damn, damn. And the sad irony at that point would be he wasn't a good boy. <laughs> hey, he's back, everybody. Don't tell me we're talking about him. Stuart, what about you? Hey, here's a fun fact about this theater. All the other stage doors are locked. <laughs> well, are you gonna are you gonna go around? Just in case, anyway. yeah, you know, come on, you know, do a whole bit. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, like go down and do some crab work, like Nick Cave, yeah. and like climb in there, like Nick Cave, like Just like a mad on, preacher, walking on chairs climb, like Roberto Benigni, like cats. Yeah. yeah. What do you? Wait, where are we? Where are we in this bit? So, Stuart, are you? Do you have a Muppet story? Should we just go to the next question? No, right. I, don't, I don't even like the Muppets. <laughs> Hi, my name is Vince. Uh, last name redacted. Okay. Oh, wow. Security reasons. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, me and my friends host a local bad movie and cult movie night. Uh, Thank you for hearing from our lawyers. No, no. For, uh, my question for you is, uh, have you ever had a movie that's so bad or so unwatchable that you decided just to can it for like for the night or the i mean we've never watched like we would not go through that pain and not do an episode we have had movies where the technology seemed to have rejected the film yeah <laughs> yeah the the the, the forgotten 10,000 bc ba- babylon ad babylon ad bc i thought we released we did, yeah we did, we did. It, was, yeah. it was babylon ad babylon yeah. ad was the one where the computer had its tennis shoes fell off, I guess. And broke down. <laughs> and, uh, and what, Beastly? We recorded half Beastly. of it. And then, uh, and then a local radio pirate time. radio station <laughs> snuck right. into the feed. But yeah, there, I, there's never been one where we've been like, no, we won't even talk about it. Let's forget this ever happened. If I see you guys on the street corner, let's pretend we don't know each other. <laughs> there have definitely been times like, Dan will show bad movies at his apartment sometimes. And there have been times when you've been like, this movie's not going over so well. But, yeah. Uh, I misjudged the audience. <laughs> well, because you, you host uh, you, you host a bad movie. Oh, please get into it. It's a bad movie horror night, and it, I know once you showed what Brain Dead, brain, which has uh, brain oh, damage. Brain damage. Thank you. Brain Dead is the Peter Jackson uh, one. Also great, uh, and Brain Damage has I don't know some like questionable scenes about uh, what like a, a woman about to give <gasps> a blowjob. A prostitute yeah. gives a blowjob to a parasite worm. All right, <laughs> which then kills her. And so for whatever reason, this unsuspecting audience that you had tricked into coming to your home it was not into it. It wasn't a great fundraiser for a preschool. <laughs> In retrospect, that's an obvious call, but at the moment, with the intelligence we had at the time, <laughs> yeah. you made the right decision. 
I, I hope that the public embarrassment of me answered your question. <laughs> we, uh, Looks yeah. like we got two questions left, one over here and one over here. Good math. So. Thank you. I'm a regular <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, if you will. Uh, my first name is Fiona, last name redacted. Um, I have a question about if you were to host uh, last, uh, last You're drive You're never invited. Sorry, go on. Uh, the last drive-in. Yes, uh -huh. the Joe Bob Briggs thing. What thing. would be your two movies and what would be your persona? Oh. Uh, this, is a, this is a challenging question. Um, what would my two movies be? I mean, I feel like I would have to pick at least one Stuart Gordon movie. I would probably pick, I don't know, like Stuck or King of the Ants, something that you don't see a lot of. But other than that, it would have to be something else that's gross. Hmm. Can you think of a gross movie, Stuart? I don't, have I have you ever, ever seen, seen any seen gross movie? Like a gross a, movie, huh? A mm. gross movie. Something that might make me want to... Wait, clarify? Is, what's this? I could not let the night go away without some kind of Stuart reference to... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I would say... I'll You're do, leading the witness, man. I'll do, I'll do Stuck, the movie where the homeless man gets hit by a car and he gets stuck in a windshield. That's pretty horrible. <laughs> And, uh, hmm, uh, I'll do uh, Chud, a movie about cannibalistic humanoid <laughs> underground dwellers that is bad. That Boo, as, thank you. As you may remember that Joe Bob Briggs said to us, he does not care for. I'll have to think about my persona, though. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's episode one of uh, Last Drive. Well, who, what would your persona be? Uh, I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. Well, I would obviously be, obviously be America's whiz kid. Uh, I'm a kid who made a lot of money on game shows and it drove me insane. <laughs> and I'd probably show In the Mouth of Madness, not the best John Carpenter movie, but my personal favorite, uh, the best being The Thing, everybody knows that, come on. Uh, it's the other perfect movie next to Alien. Um, and the other one would have to be the scariest movie ever made, Persona. <laughs> The Ingmar Bergman story of two women whose personalities begin to merge, and it's super scary. Uh, obviously, my persona would be a really happy guy who everyone loves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like brings joy wherever, and yeah. like never gets made fun of, and just you know, just like just, you know, like you're, you're we're really working through some shit here tonight. <laughs> like party guy that people are like really excited when he shows up they're like oh the party's gonna start dance here you know like that yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This, is, this is you talking to your stuffed animals at home telling them how the day went uh and i would show return of the living dead which is uh maybe my favorite horror comedy and what was the other one i thought of that has gone out of my brain it is prince of darkness the john carpenter movie which i think is great calls underseen he does a lot of neat stuff with video formats in that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I've decided my, uh, my persona would be like if you had an alien crime boss, right? Follow me. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that alien crime boss, instead of being made out of, I don't know, say normal flesh like an alien, would instead be made out of a giant mound of pizza. <laughs> 
Now, what would be a name for a type of character like that? Difficult, difficult. You would want pizza in the name, of course, because that's what my body is constituted by. But how to finish the name? What's the perfect word to come after? Well, or two words, perhaps, to come after? Uh, I mean, it would be a title, of course, uh, that would describe what my body's shape appears to look like. Maybe it was like a, uh, a, uh, a peak-roofed home. <laughs> okay. Some kind of Quonset. Quonset, yeah. Uh, I, I still, I'm still working through. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Sir, please rescue us from this hell. I love You're the idea the that that's why he's called that is because it's what his body is shaped like. You're the last question of the evening, please. That's a really tough question to follow up, but I'll do my best. Um, which uh, two movies share a cinematic universe by having the same actor? Like, do you think maybe Tony Stark was inspired to create Jarvis after witnessing the events in Weird Science? Probably. I mean, that's a, that's a plausible explanation. I mean, the, I mean, oh, the one that comes to mind most readily is that uh, the character uh, Bodhi in Point Break was very clearly in a younger time in his life, Dalton from Roadhouse. I mean, that is the same. Oh, because I thought in a younger time in his life, he was the instructor, the dance instructor in the Catskills. And even younger, he was a, he was Johnny, the sexy instructor. I mean, in a real sense, trading, trading places and uh, coming to America exist in the same universe because Don Amici and uh, Ralph Bellamy literally play the same characters in both movies. One of those movies, I love it, have since I was a kid. The other movie, don't care for. Wow. Well, Always you, leave them guessing. Can you guess yeah. which is which? Let me, let me tell you, I don't like the one where a man is raped by a gorilla. <laughs> Not a fan of that. Let's... Not something that should happen to anybody, regardless of whether they swindle some money away from somebody. Wow. <laughs> Elliot's willing to lose friends over this. <laughs> Not a funny thing, according uh, to me. And I'll jump backwards. I have this... I have this crazy, crazy fan theory. Now stay with me here. Uh, that the um, that the banjo playing frog uh -huh. in the Muppet movie yeah, yep. is also the journalist in the Great Muppet Caper. But that, but that it can't be the case because the journalist in the Great Muppet Caper has a twin identical brother, mm -hmm. a bear. Whereas in the Muppet movie, he oh my God, hold on a second. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right, we've uh, wasted your time with our shenanigans, much like Holmes and Watson. Uh, well, look. Dan, well, you seem like you were onto I something. I've run down. My I'm one of those toys that's been wound up and has run down. Yeah, we need to yeah. put but, a string uh, on your back. There, there's merchandise that we're selling. <laughs> we'll be out there next to it if you want to talk to us. and then In this building. I know that was pretty vague, that we'll be out there next to it somewhere. In the, in the world, merchandise exists. Uh, we're not just going to find a store and hang yeah. out in it. Also, uh, some very uh, wonderful local listeners have uh, arranged a after-party at There Be Monsters, which is a bar that I am told is within a couple blocks from here. Uh -huh. And after we're done with our merchandise, Selling, we will try and stop by. Yeah, we will that's... stop by. Try and stop by. <laughs> all right. Well, look at you hedging your bets. <laughs> trying to create suspense. I'm, I'm too tired from signing my little fingers. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to put them in a tiny bed. <laughs> that's what I call. That's what I call my sleep gloves. <laughs> my hands, tiny bed. <laughs> 
And that's how you night lotion without getting fucking lotion all over your blanket. You fill up your night It's all clothes. tied up. Yeah. Anyway. That's, I mean, that's tied up to something we were talking about in a conversation earlier today. Oh, shit. It <laughs> was not mentioned on the podcast. <laughs> we're tying up loose ends from before you guys got here. <laughs> Uh, please, thank you for being here for so long and for putting yeah. up with us. Thank yeah. you so much, Portland, for having us. Thank you to Revolution Hall. Yep. You've been wonderful to us. Thank you, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. You know me, America's Rascal, Elliot Kalin. Good night, Good night. everyone. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Ariel, listen to me. The world is a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. Yeah. The sea is always greener in somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a